This is Salt and Spine. Bread as the symbol of survival, at least of the Western part of you know of of humanity, is something that should be accessible to all. That that it shouldn't be a, a, a luxury. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, Stories Behind Cookbooks. You're tuning in for a special episode. It's the 2022 Baking Month. We're celebrating some of the year's best baking books with a handful of author interviews, dozens of featured recipes, excerpts, and more. Make sure you're subscribed to our Substack to get it all. Today's Baking Month guest is Ulix Fimu. Now, Ulix is a co-founder of the beloved bakery Pandavion, which sprang up on Cape Cod over three decades ago, but really goes all the way back to Ulix and his friend's childhood in war-torn Belgrade. What Ulix calls an improbable journey into baking is shared for the first time in this format throughout the book, with Ulix and his co-founders' stories told in first-person text and brought to life with striking illustrations. Of course, you'll find recipes for both the chef-loved loaves of sourdough and cranberry pecan breads, to croissants, sandwiches, sweets, and more. So let's head now to our virtual studio, where Ulix joined us remotely for this Baking Month episode. Hi, Ulix. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Hi, Brian. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, looking forward to talking with you today about your cookbook, but we always like to start by learning a little bit more about you and how you got to the place um, that you are today. And for you, you know, grateful, graciously, we have so much of your life story actually reflected in this book. So for folks who have read it already, um, they may know some of this, but we're going to go all the way back to the beginning um, and talk a little bit about your childhood and how you got to where you are today. So I noticed in your book first that you said you've you've wanted to be an actor since you were a young kid since you were like five years old is that right um yes and your, so your father was an actor too both of my parents actually both I mean, both your parents yeah, yeah. both uh, my mom and my dad i mean my dad passed away 12 years ago but my mom is you know she's 85 and she's still performing you know to this to this day so and my wife is an actress as well so yeah a little community little family of actors yes yeah, it runs in the family for sure. So you you had dreams of being an actor from an early age, and and as a child, were growing up in the former Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. Can you talk first about some of your food memories from from childhood? You write a bit about in the book what types of food you were eating, some of your favorite you know classic bakery items. But what sort of role did food food play in your life when you were growing up in Yugoslavia? You know, only only when we sort of tried to you know to and you mentioned you know that we're going to speak a little bit how did we get there in our story and i mean mine and of course you know the story of my friends my partners my wife it's not your you know regular story it's it's not something that one could have predicted you know some 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 time ago and only and this was one of the things that was really interesting to me when when i started thinking about writing you know writing this book is actually how only in you know sometimes only when we look at in the rear view mirror we can start connecting the dots and and uh, try to understand how you know really a, a complex chain of events brought us to where we are today Quite a few sure. of them were, you know, the events that uh, are nothing but, you know, nice or, or, or pleasant. But and, and this is something that I was really hoping that will be um, understandable and that I'll be able to communicate throughout the 
book throughout the story that we are sharing that, and this is, you know, unrelated to the baking, but it it actually touches the different aspects of, of all our lives that when something really terrible happens, when something really looks gray and, you know, it doesn't seem that it will end, that, you know, that, that actually it will. And that, you know, one door will close and another door will open and we will move forward. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, especially when you are younger, it's hard to understand and accept these, these events. But actually, these are, you know, the facts of life. If, if we are, you know, tiny bit lucky as, as we were, but if we believe and if we, you know, have a little bit of knowledge of somebody shared a little bit of experience, with us earlier that, you know, this is possible and, and we sort of keep on pushing. It's going to be uh, uh, possible much more. Yes. So we come from former Yugoslavia, which is the country that in my mind, unfortunately, unfortunately, I mean, it doesn't exist in my mind, unfortunately right. doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's uh, geographically located in, a, in, in this very specific part of Europe that, that kind of, you know, borders or, or, uh, where one would uh, sort of draw the line between, you know, Western part of the Europe and then, you know, something that goes further east. It's, you know, the, the, the country itself was uh, surrounded, you know, from Italy to the west and uh, northwest and then Austria and then Hungary and then, you know, Romania, Bulgaria and then towards Greece and, and Albania. I, I think that I... Uh, did not miss any of the surrounding countries. So in that respect, the, the food that, you know, not only that we grew up eating, that, you know, the whole country was, influ- was influenced by all of these really completely different cuisines. I mean, in the geographical sense, right? Uh, there are some similarities, we might say, you know, between Greek and um, Italian cuisine because they're both in a way Mediterranean, but then when you sort of sure. uh, turn yourself a little towards west and north, you're then you're hitting Austria, meaning German influences, then Hungary, and then uh, uh, of course, and uh, one of the strongest impacts, especially you know, on the for the southern uh, southern parts of Yugoslavia, was actually the the long uh, Turkish presence in the in the region that you know that left. Uh, really a strong, strong mark. So, and so on, on, and of course, Yugoslavia had this long Adriatic coast and then, you know, the, the Alp mountains, uh, in, in the, in the very north. So geographically, it is absolutely, I mean, still is, it's not called Yugoslavia now. We have, you know, uh, six different little countries, but, uh, right. the nature, the flavors, are as diverse as they get. You know, this is where actually, you know, the the Christianity, both Orthodox and Catholic sort of, you know, kind of meet or have divided, you know, a long time ago. And then when Islam came, this is how far actually it came to, you know, to Europe. So it's, it's, it's a combination of flavors, of cultures, of religions. Yeah, and it yeah. was beautiful. Yeah, and now as a as a baker, looking back on on that time, you write about a few things in the book. Um, you know, you have 
distinct memories of eating barak at 3 a.m. and um, kifla and these other pastry items. So now as a person who spent so much time baking, how do you think back on sort of the, the baked items of your childhood and how did those influence you in, in the course of your life? Well, and we were just, you know, talking today. I mean, the the presence of bakeries in, you know, in, in your everyday routine in Europe in general is like, you know, it's, it's really present. I mean, uh, and actually I was, um, I was, I was listening earlier today to one of your previous podcasts, you know, with Apollonia Paulan and, uh, mm-hmm. which, was pretty amazing and all of us are kind of you know indebted to what her father and grandfather before him did but she was you know she was saying about the amount of breads that you know used to be consumed by average you know french citizen and that how that decreased but still and then there was a bakery on every corner and this is this is literally you know how it is so it doesn't matter if you were in paris and you were in belgrade or some other parts of, of, of former Yugoslavia, bakeries were just, you know, inseparable part of every, of every neighborhood. Now, depending on the, on the region, of course, what, you know, what one could buy in the bakery was, was sort of different. But you mentioned Burek, which is something that Turks left behind and that it's, you know, one of the mm-hmm. staples throughout the region of, you know, there is a barely a bakery that you know that uh, that you're going to enter and that will not have some type of a burek that is you know that is offered. Of course, now everything is changed, but back then, I don't know. I, I really remember, and of course, the because burek is you know it's it's actually, technically it's a cheese pie, but it's you know it's a filo sure. dough, so it's you know it's it's a dough that is that is stretched to the point of I don't know that it's less than one millimeter thick. I mean, it's barely holding itself. It's totally transparent. You can kind of, you know, make the shades out of it. Uh, and then it's layered and filled with cheese or minced meat and, you know, sauteed onion and all these other, uh, beautiful things. But I do remember when I was a kid, you know, sort of sneaking and peeking behind the doors and watching these, uh, you know, men at the time were, you know, hunched over this humongous uh, table that they were, you know, stretching this, uh, stretching this dough. And then, but we were not, you know, at the time we were not thinking about it. I mean, it was interesting, but it was just the part of everyday life uh, right. that one doesn't really contemplate too much about. Only when you, when we arrived here, we understood that actually things are completely, you know, completely different. And they're now, various reasons why you know why we cannot afford to have just a small tiny bakery on every corner in new york city price of real estate and you know but yeah and three in the morning coming home from you know the night out yeah burek at that hour and you know a little bit of yogurt is something that you know and this is another thing that that uh, i was reflecting on and i you know, because none of us, myself and my partners, none of us had any formal baking or food education in that, you know, in that way at all. And we ended right. up supplying, you know, one of the top, some of the top restaurants in, you know, in the city, meaning New York, both in Boston, therefore in the world. So how, 
why, how, why, why, why were we so fortunate, you know, to, to be able to create something that, you know, that can satisfy the, not only the palate, but, you know, to hit all the marks from uh, somebody who is really an artist, as some of these chefs that we've been working for so long are. And I don't know, but something happens while, while we are young, while we are kids. Some, something, something impacts what makes us happy. And we are, I think, in constant search of these flavors that, and, you know, aromas or textures that we probably forgotten a long time ago. But then when we're trying to create, like, what is that that actually I'm looking for that is going to make sure. me excited for a second or happy? And that it's going to yeah. resonate with your audience or your customers. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I want to just for for listeners who may not know, so so let's talk about a little bit how the bakery came together. Then, because you mentioned you know, none, none of you had any sort of formal right. baking experience or training, but your your friends, your a couple of your partners, they come to the United States and they come first. You you remain in Yugoslavia for a while as an act. You're you're acting. You're in some shows. And you kind of join as a silent partner first, and then you eventually become more involved in the baking. But paint the picture for us a little bit of how Pandavion sort of comes together. Right. So, you know, it's very unfortunate because, I, I mean, I, I said that country that we grew up, grew up in doesn't exist anymore. But, you know, what I didn't mm -hmm. say that actually uh, the, the reason uh, that it doesn't exist anymore was, you know, this terrible, terrible, horrendous, unnecessary, stupid war, right? And at the time, yeah. we are, you know, barely 20. And of course, sure. not, not, nothing, even though, you know, people do not believe, and unfortunately, we are again in the situation that, you know, we do not believe that something like this is possible. You know, we are in the heart of the Europe. You know, these things, they, they don't happen to us. They, you know, they happen some, you know, some other places. But then they, you know, then they than they do. Uh, and we were concerned, or at least in my household, you know, the, my parents were concerned that something like this might happen. And um, friends of mine, sort of after the high school and before they were the age to start going to college, started leaving one by one. Now, when they left, it was... Uh, kind of possible that something bad will happen, but they did not leave because of war. They left because they wanted to leave. My uh, partner's bonnet dad was a textile executive who, you know, who got the job here in New York. Igor, another friend of ours, also had a relative here in, uh, in New York. So, you know, we were kind of pulling each other sort of, you know, and bringing each other along. And uh, Voin also had a cousin in, in Georgia. So all, all of them had some kind of ties to the U.S. The, the situation home was uh, looking bleaker and bleaker. And, you know, they, they, they were already here when the war started. Uh, and I was, I was still back home, just finishing my acting studies, just, you know, starting my acting career, which had a very nice and successful start. And at the time, so I yeah. mentioned three friends, three partners, Branislav, Bane, Igor, and Voin. And uh, Igor, just by the chain of accidents, started working, you know, when you come to this, when you immigrate, right? And 
you have to start making a living somehow. So through, uh, through a mutual friend, he got the job uh, as a driver, as a delivery boy for Eli Zaber, who was, and this is late right. 80s, so it's 88, 89, who was just at the, at, at the beginning of, you know, expanding or exploding what he did back then with, um, you know, with his bakery. And Igor was, uh, to, to his credit, you know, he sort of recognized something. And not only that he recognized something, but got really excited. I remember when I visited for the first time, I had a little, uh, break, you know, I don't know, spring break during my uh, acting studies. And he was showing me these breads and saying, oh, look at this. This is amazing. This is awesome. I was looking at him without, you know, understanding at all what is his excitement all about. So I'm back home working as an actor. And Igor comes up with an idea because his girlfriend at the time, Ludmila, her parents had a, a small summer house on Cape. And they would spend weekends they actually realized that there was nothing similar, nothing similar, you know, uh, to the bread that Eli was making, both when you, as soon as actually you leave New York City, you go further north, nothing like it. You go further south, nothing like it. And um, they decided to try to open the bakery. They called a few, you know, few friends, including myself, including Bane, Voin as well, who was, who came here with a, a little more money than, you know, than the rest of us because he was supposed to, I don't know, uh, get enrolled into some kind of college. Instead of, you know, okay. paying for the college semester, he joined Igor. We chipped a little bit in and, you know, they opened the bakery in 92 in Hyannis and Cape Cod. And eventually it starts to catch the attention of press. I mean, the bakery is becoming successful. And then I think the first sort of big media moment you have right is the the boston globe features the cranberry pecan sourdough loaf and it just kind of starts to build and build and your customer base builds and you start you know wholesaling you're wholesaling to restaurants what does that sort of path look like and and when do you start becoming involved in the baking because i know originally you write in the book that for a while you did not think that that was a, a really creative outlet for you, right? And then at some point you realize that that actually was what was most appealing to you and that you actually saw somewhat of a connection between theater and acting and bread making. Correct. So this is uh, the bakery opened its door or its doors on the June 8th uh, in 92. I'm still in Belgrade. During the next 12 months, my friends and my partners, I'm still back home. I have nothing to do with the business except that I'm a minority silent partner. They're mm -hmm. young, they're energetic, the whole world is in front of them, but they uh, realize they, they don't see eye to eye. And shortly after, I don't know exactly how long after, Igor and Ludmila, they decide to split up and sort of try the thing on their own. So we were, of course, all of us, for, for us, this was, you know, uh, ex extremely painful because our friendship was most important, more, more important to, to, to all of us than anything else. Uh, sure. Nevertheless, I managed to avoid two drafts. And after the, you know, after the second draft, actually, the second time I was called upon and the war, now the war started in Yugoslavia, the, the former republics are sort of, you know, breaking off. It's terrible. It's uh -huh. burning all around. It's 
bloody. It's, you know, the country's under the sanctions. The inflation is astronomical. You get your salary in theater, you know, tomorrow, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. If you don't get immediately to the, you know, the, to, 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 to the green market, the whole salary is going to lose its total value. You're not going to be able to buy nothing just five hours later. I get the sure. uh, second draft notice and I leave, right? So I come uh, summer 90, summer 93. So bakery already exists. Igor has left. Voin and Bane are running the, the business. And at the time I, I had, I mean, I, I, I came because I came to them because I had nowhere else to go, right? And of course, and I mean, we are so tight. I, Bane and myself, we are friends I mean, we know each other since we were seven years old. I'm 54 today. So, you know, knowing anybody 47 years, being in any kind of relationship, you understand. It's it's both yeah. love and work. But we were really, when we yeah. were young, imagining the world without each other is life without each other. is It was kind of, you know, almost impossible. So I was fortunate enough that, you know, I had where to come. And they, of course welcomed me and but but I, I had no desire nor intention to you know to be involved in the bakery business in any way and then slowly and then sometime later my wife girlfriend at the time came as well and uh, we decided to have a family and there was a moment where we had to decide am I going to be a waiter in New York City and sort of entertain this possibility of you know in hope of uh, working as actors again or not understanding our as you can hear very well our limitation with the uh, english language and of course at the time was much worse than it is today we opted out and we decided out of this you know really a dream kind of scenario to pursue acting in new york city we decided to move to cape cod and be with you know with our with our friends once we decided that we're going to be there and, you know, I decided that I'm going to try to help as much as I can to the business that my friends already had. And the whole thing was already in motion. Mm -hmm. The only part that interested me was actually, you know, I wanted to learn what, what is it that we are doing because I, I, I didn't understand anything at all. And this is how my, uh, journey with bread making began. Yeah. And you, from the beginning of, of the bakery and, and when you got involved too, I mean, in the beginning in the nineties and you write about this, like artisanal bread was still considered, it was very niche. It was something that was expensive that you could, um, expect at, you know, a very high end store or a high end restaurant, but wasn't accessible. And that sort of became a, a core part of your mission and your philosophy that you, you believed good, high-quality bread should be accessible to a, a wide range of consumers, right? Correct. Well, yes. The, the, I mean, we were so fortunate. We were so lucky. I mean, we worked hard. That's, you know, that's, and, and we always try to make, I don't know, sense of anything that we do. But we were very fortunate without really understanding the wider context of what is happening with us and with us in the context of what is happening with a much wider change 
in American awareness about where it's, you know, where is America's food coming from? Because where we grew up, everything is small. You know, you don't, I mean, you know, your butcher, you know, your baker, you go to the green market, you know, the lady who is, you know, making the cheese herself. There is no, nothing is big. You don't think big. Then you come to the, to the country. As I said, you find yourself in this uh, specific scenario. And then you actually post festum start understanding why do people really appreciate what is that that you know that we are doing considering you know the, at the time the the word was you know the the unique selling point was bread made from scratch and for me coming back like how else is anything made than you know from scratch and it wasn't because we didn't know better I mean, yeah. this is how things were done. So what we kind of ended up doing felt just like being, you know, being at home. On the other hand, bread as the symbol of survival, you know, of, I don't know, at least of the Western part of, you know, of, of humanity is something that should be accessible to all that, right? That it shouldn't be a, a a luxury. Sure. Now we understood, and as I say, you know, the the price structure of the of the breads that we were selling was already established when you know when I arrived. But it was maybe a little more expensive than I'm not sure something that was uh, produced in some bakery that uh, that is fully automated. But to us, this was just a natural extent of who we were how we were raised, brought up. Yeah. So it, it um, there is really nothing to, you know, to brag about. It's just a little bit of common sense, I think. Sure. That's, you know, one part of your, your mission and your approach as a bakery. Um, and there's other things that I think do also deserve praise. You know, you, you write in the book about how just four years in started offering healthcare to all your employees, coming from a, a country where there were some of these socialist values and healthcare was accessible. And so a lot of the practices and things that we see over the 20 year history, I think are, are notable, but this is 20 years now since the first loaf was baked. So how did you decide to embark on a cookbook project? Well, it's actually 30 years since the 92, 22. So oh, 30. 30. Okay, yeah, my yeah, math is wrong. No, yeah, no, you're no. right. Yeah, 30. No, it's okay. terrible. You, you <laughs> Bad know, math. I mean, we were like, oh, it's 30 years. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, how yeah. how old are we? It's not even funny. And so it's been 30 years. <laughs> yes. So the, 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 the cookbook itself, there was a period where, you know, both myself and my wife Snezhina had this, you know, period of silence, meaning no connection with theater or film uh, at all during our Cape Cod years. You know, baking for me is a little bit like a forced marriage, you know, even though I, I really ended up loving the, the, the bride, but, you know, it's not something that I kind of chose. Acting, sure. theater, film is something, you know, it's, 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 it's an environment that, we, you know, that we're coming from. And even though, of course, we fear that we'll never work as, you know, as, as actors again, because for actor, especially for an actress at, at that age that she was at, to be silent for, you know, seven, eight years, it's like, you know, this is as if, 
somebody, I'm not sure, exiled us onto a you know deserted island. So once we opened the bakery in New York, and I finally, because even though I was I was working the bakery, we were already making these breads. I already started changing you know our processes, and this was an extremely exciting and gratifying period uh, for for all of us. But I, I still felt that somebody pressed a pause on my life and that, you know, now some time is going to pass and I just have to hang in there. And then, you know, somebody's going to press a play button and my life will continue. And that lasted for a good five or six years. So I never saw myself, oh, you know, my life will be a life of, of a baker, right? No, no, no. I have to be on theater. Yeah. I have to be on stage. This is, this is, this is my purpose. I have to keep on telling stories. You know, my life needs to have the cause. Our life needs to have a cause. We still didn't figure out, even though we left the country because we were, we felt strongly against the war. Still, you know, it was our personal decision, but, you know, without any, really uh, serious effect on, you know, on the terrible things that are happening. And you do have the need and you feel that you want to do something, uh, speak out loud. And theater can have that power. Film can have that uh, power as well. Arts in general can have that power. Uh, there are great tools on, you know, for speaking on the behalf of, on those whose voices cannot be heard. So once we moved to New York, and I write a few sentences about that in the book as well, I, I still, even though, you know, it, it was almost seven, eight years that, you know, I was doing nothing else but baking and delivering breads, I still couldn't accept, you, you know, I, I still felt as a victim. And this is a terrible trap for anybody who, you know, who is going through these funny cycles, you know, being trapped in a position of the victim is, is something, as soon as you feel sorry for yourself, something is wrong and you need to dig out of your, yourself out of that hole as soon as, as soon as possible. And this happened sometime to me in New York when we actually decided, you know, to open and to try to open a New York bakery. And my wife helped me quite a bit there because, you know, she was in a sense of how established of an actress she was at the time um, the moment where she left her career for you know i don't know silence of 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 cape cod was actually a much braver and harder thing to do than actually that i did i was young and up and coming actor she was one of the biggest yugoslavian film and you know theater stars nominated already as a best actress for you know uh, european Academy Film Award, and she, you know, and she left oh. it all. At one point, yeah. when, 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 when again, I complained something, she was like, oh, my dear goodness, you know, are you going to let it go? Seriously, you don't see this blessing. You don't see that actually, what, what is that that we have in our hands? And you are not recognizing that this bread that you guys are making, it can be a piece of far the same way we would like to believe that, you know, the chefs that we've been collaborating with that are artists themselves. So this is sure. where we kind of, I, we have finally embraced, you know, our new life. And actually it's not new life, but it's the only life that, that we have. 
And in a strange way, the very moment we said, okay, if I don't set, you know, ever again uh, a foot on the, on the stage, I'll be fine. And I was really, we were both in peace with it, both theater and, and, and film and TV kind of, you know, accidentally start creeping uh, back into our lives. Of course, much more home, former Yugoslavia, where we work both in theater uh, and, uh, and film for last almost 20 years again. Yeah. So there was a moment where I was producing our feature film and I was in this group of European producers, you know, in one of these forums where you come and you sort of try to find, you know, co-producing partners. And everybody was like, where are you from? I said, I'm from Belgrade, but you don't live in Belgrade. I said, no, where do you live? In New York. But what do you do? I have a bakery. But you're producing a film? Yes. But like, uh-huh. you're an actor, like, what's going on? And then when I would briefly tell them the story, they were like, okay, your project is good, but actually, you know, your story, you should make one day something out of it. That thought that I didn't hear once, but I heard multiple times, you know, stayed with me. And then 13 book came up. And actually, okay. you know, my, my, my bread education, besides the fact that, you know, I, I was just lucky to sort of be, you know, that I had uh, an existing bakery as, as a playground, right? So my first breakthrough came through this French baking books that were, you know, written probably sometimes in early, mid-80s. There are five different, you know, co-authors. One of them is very, very young Eric Kaiser. So this is where uh-huh. I got my, and the, you know, the books were in French, left by one of our French bakers. I couldn't understand the word. I would copy the pages, fax over to my mom, actually to her theater. She, and this is war. Serbia is still under the sanctions. So she would translate them, fax them back to me. I mean, I could translate them here, but we just didn't have money to afford, you know, somebody to translate the thick book of 300 pages or whatever. And this sure. is how actually my, my, my entry into the world of bread making has opened actually through this, you know, French baking books. And then the next book, which is somewhat almost, you know, 15 years later is the 13 book that really pushed because I, I saw the book at Barson Noble. I said, Oh, what is this? This, this bread looks like ours, right? Uh-huh. And then, of course, I bought the book and I started reading it. It's, you know, it's absolutely an amazing book. And what Chad Robertson did, not only with a book that is brilliant, but with the bread making process, sort of, you know, it kind of nudged this whole artisanal industry. It gave it, you know, this completely new life and visibility and, uh, besides that, I just, you know, not I, that all of us really loved, loved the book. Sometime later, I was like, why wouldn't we write, you know, the book? Why is this, is this? And we are a wholesaler, right? Meaning we bake the bread and we have to bake it at that time in order for the bread to cool down so it can be properly packed and then uh, distributed and come, you know, to the store at six, seven in the morning or to a restaurant a little later, and somebody is going to consume it, um, you know, for dinner, for lunch, or the next day. But very few mm-hmm. people have ever tried our bread when it comes out of the oven. 
And it's something, yeah. you know, and this is, I mean, we tried sort of to, you know, to shrink this uh, time period, like to bake the bread as late as possible so that, you know, by the time it leaves the bakery and gets to the restaurant is, you know, the shortest possible period of time. Still, there are so many obstacles to, you know, to accomplish successfully something like that. And why not write the book about it? And it took a single meeting. That's so interesting, and 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 it and it is true, you know, that we've seen a number of big bread books. Obviously, Tartine was kind of the one that sparked it, and then we've seen other books. But yours is so unique in that you approach it. Obviously, there are recipes, there are bread recipes, there are non-bread recipes, quiches and sandwiches and other things. But you also have your personal story, and here you write um, a s- sort of s- short essay called "An Immigrant's View from the Outside Looking In." You have some profiles of some of your team that are sort of spread throughout the book and these also beautiful illustrations that paint and and showcase various moments of your life the bakery's life how did you decide to include sort of all of those things and and bring them together into this comprehensive book in that way one of my first acting jobs once i moved to new york i was uh, lucky enough i auditioned for peter sellers who is a very famous theater director Mostly known for staging, you know, either operas or classic pieces like, you know, Greek tragedies or Shakespeare. And, uh, I, I, I was, I was, uh, I was lucky to land a lead in, uh, the play that he was, uh, that he was preparing at the time. It was a Greek tragedy written by Euripides called The Children of Heracles. We open in, in Germany and there was this, there was this once, and it was a beautiful play, by the way. It, it was really something, and it was, this is happening pre-Iraq. So it had this very strong, as everything, or almost everything that Peter does, it has, and this is the, the power of theater that I was, you know, that I was, uh, reflecting on a bit earlier. It had this, a strong, uh, social anti-war message and so on and so forth. So we were preparing the, the play in, in, in Germany. And um, there, the, there is a scene in the play where Heraclitus's mother finally gets a hold of a villain, a person who actually, you know, who murdered her son. And there is this an amazing uh, uh, scene and beautifully played by, by an amazing actress called Juliana Sulistio. Nevertheless, the director decided to, and it's a long scene, it's about 10 minutes long, and he turned her away from the audience. So we never saw her face except for the very brief moment when she enters the stage. We are looking at the face of the villain who has almost nothing to say throughout the whole scene. And we were like, why, Peter? Like, I mean, it's... and. Juliana is killing it. Like, even without seeing her face, she is killing it. And he is like, yeah, well, all bad people and these dictators that, you know, that, that we see every day on our TV screens are celebrities, right? And then the people that are affected by their terrible deeds, we never see their faces. They're just this masses in in you know we see them on cnn we see them on different media and we are almost you know we are becoming indifferent to it unfortunately and that also stayed 
with me for you know for for forever until this day and of course you know yes we started with you know with this project that is called pandavignon but like anything else there you know there are other people who are inseparable part of and they're behind this you know this this other door that we don't see as as often so of course if i had 1000 pages i would you know probably include another i don't know how many stories but we had only yeah. only limited pages and i'm so grateful that you know because i i did not know and these are people that have been with us for you know 20 something years if they wanted to share their story and they did and i think that there are some stories that are quite quite remarkable that could be the book on 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 their own um yeah. so that's on that yeah. and illustrations it's again related to uh a spark that i had from an amazing film called israeli film called waltz with bashir and it's you know it's 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 a masterpiece it's it was nominated for an academy award in 2008 as a as a best foreign film won the golden globe it was in the main competition at the Cannes Film Festival won one of the awards uh-huh. there anyway it's the, the groundbreaking aspect of this film was actually that it's you know it was its form was completely new it's actually animated documentary so how can you know something that is animated be a documentary so it's not really a documentary but it is anyway it follows a group of friends that uh, served the army together and that witnessed something in their youth while they were serving the army that kind of you know stayed with them and one of them is haunted he's haunted by and he tried to reconnect with with group of his friend so the film was and it's an amazing film so i would suggest to anyone you know who who loves seeing watching movies should see see it uh was directed by an amazing director called Ari Polman and uh but it was art illustrated and art directed by an amazing artist called called David Polanski and one point I, i was just i don't want in our book i don't want those polaroids even though we have some super cool ones but i don't want oh this yeah. is the photo when the chef was young this is you know No I I I I and the story part to me was as important if not probably more important than you know than the bread or recipes part of the book so I wanted to have this you know cinema kind of feel mood and 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 I I thought that you know I would be the luckiest guy around if I would have somebody like David do a few of these illustrations and uh Lucia Watson my editor you know when i mentioned the, the first time you know this idea she, she was like looking at me like what are you talking about and Kathleen uh-huh. uh Kathleen my my uh Kathleen Hackett my dear friend and co-writer she was like go for it go for it go for it if you don't try you'll never know you know and i said Lynn but i have no yeah. idea is this how is this gonna kind of live on the in in, in the same format you know the the photography and the illustrations she's like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter just go you know and i reached out to david that i didn't know him before i wrote him this you know long email describing the project in brief and he was like i know war he lives in 
Israel, of course. Mm-hmm. I love food. I love bread. I love friendship. I know immigration. I'm in. Now, I'm wow. busy for next year and a half. So if you can wait, then I'm like, well, David, you know, we are kind of moving slowly and, and let's catch up some. And yeah. we were lucky enough that all of that aligned and that he did. And this was probably one of the, I don't know, the, the part that I really enjoyed. Like him creating these images out of nothing, out of our conversations, you know, was, and then, you know, how they became a part of, of everything. I will be forever in debt too. That's incredible. Sure. And, and I love, yeah, I love how they're integrated in and, it, and that storytelling aspect. So it's very unique. Um, and well, one, one, one I could more, ask I'm you sorry, that. just yeah. one more thing. And yes, the, the humor part of it, the humor uh-huh. that we do not take ourselves seriously at all had to be present. Sure. Like, you know, this, I mean, you know, you're writing a book, you're putting recipes, you're giving some sort of instructions that need to be followed and so on and so forth. No, 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 no. This is just, if you can understand that this group of schmucks was able to do it, <laughs> you can do it for sure. So this is, you know, this was also extremely uh, important that this pl- playfulness of the whole material, of the, of the philosophy of how to approach reading the book should be constantly present. So please do not, you know, judge yourself too harshly. Do not judge us too harshly. If anything that we wrote doesn't make any sense, please, you know, forgive us, <laughs> even though we really tried hard. But yes, it's just enjoy and play and have fun. And, you know, because, and this is another thought that that I, I really try to remind myself and I and it's in the book and I cling to it to survive until the never you know the, the next day just the journey itself it's not the result it's not if the bread is going to come out good or not someday it's going to be good but you know it's the journey it's the process have fun while doing it if you had fun mission accomplished I love that, and I was I was going to ask you what your advice to home bakers is who who might want to take on some of these recipes, and I think that that exactly answers it. If this group of schmucks can do it, then then so can you, so can anybody. So I love Absol- that. Just 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 well, we don't all- give up. Don't give up. You, you know, yeah. this is this is not something that happens overnight. This thing with baking, like with anything else in life that we want to master, just don't give up and make it yours. It yeah. shouldn't be ours. It should be yours it should be whoever you know own it make it different just use this as a you know as as a lifting ground and then use your imagination to you know to to guide you through the process well we always end with little games so i thought we'd play a quick uh game yes. and, and um we've got, I got some cards today here. i just got scared because <laughs> i was listening to uh, apollonia poland's podcast and i you know yeah. he, and she pulled out this card that had uh Passion fruit, no passion fruit, or some type of ingredient, okay. some type yeah. of ingredient that I had no clue what it is. And I'm like, oh my goodness, Brian is going to now ask me something and I have no idea what the ingredient <laughs> is. This is going to be super embarrassing, but I'm brave and I'm ready to jump. Go ahead. I love that. Okay. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. We'll do our best not to stump you too hard, but um, I thought it'd be fun if we played a little a game that I'm theming, you know, 
can we serve it at Pan d'Avignon? So you get to pick an ingredient and then you can tell us. And in the book, you know, you have bread recipes, of course, but you also have quiche recipes, sandwich recipes. So it's sort of adaptable and versatile, but how would you put, you know, this ingredient on the menu? Um, and you get to pick the card um, category. So we have vegetables. You can pick a vegetable. We have proteins. We have flavors, which are herbs and spices. And then we have our secret ingredient deck, which is a mix of random things. So which one would you like to go with? I'm scared now. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I'll go with veggies. Let's, let's see what can okay. we do with that. Let's pick a vegetable. All right, I'm going to draw from the middle. Okay, we have cucumbers. Cucumbers. Okay, there is a little section in the in the in the book that, um, and this is really not my my ex- expertise. This is where you know our super pastry chef Francois Ip has worked very hard, and Rosella Albanese, our director of retail operation, but much more than that. Anyway, uh, th- th- there is a little section that speaks about puff pastry, right? Which is a very simple, okay. very mm-hmm. simple sort of laminated dough, very similar to croissants, meaning you know layer layer of 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 dough, layer of butter, or some other types of fat, depending where you know where you where you are, but no yeast, right? So this is right. going to give you this very thin, or you know depending how thick you want to go, but most of the cases shouldn't be on how we use it, you know. Uh, thicker than very thin pizza, right? So actually, the minimum the minimum amount of filo uh, that can hold itself once you top it with you know different different ingredients of of you know of your choice. Now in the book we have both sweet and savory, and actually that sweet and savory approach came from one of our early visits to you know to Paris, where actually you could find these. Um, little, you know, re- rectangles. So, you know, they're like, they're not a pizza slice like, but, you know, like a rectangle of puff pastry covered with different fresh ingredients. Or maybe yeah. some, some partially baked and then some, you know, fresh ingredients added and topped on. And there was one that, you know, thank God that I remembered. That was actually a play on, technically it's a deconstructed tzatziki or, you know, so it's fresh cucumbers, some sort of uh, yogurt or, you know, very soft cheese. I mean, I assume you can play with, you know, with farmer's cheese or with little ricotta or with any kind of yogurt, a little bit of garlic, a little bit of parsley, or I'm not sure what else goes there. So it was a thin layer of this spread. And then uh, thinly sliced cucumbers, fresh cucumbers uh-huh. on top of it, and you know sprinkled with one of you know one of the uh, herbs, green something that you know that goes with that. And I think that that yeah. would give a little cool summery kind of uh, snack. Yeah, I I was not sure where you were going to go with that. I think that sounds delicious. That sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> you get. No, I, I really, I, I, you know, I, I tried it and it, and it looks, you know, it kind of looks beautiful because it's super thinly shaved, you know, cucumbers. Once you, I assume once you shave them, once you slice them super thin, they don't release too much water to make the, the pastry kind of, so it, it's still, 
you get that crisps on the crisp on the bottom. You have a little bit of this thinly spread yogurt slash ricotta something, and of course you can put a little olive oil. I don't know, but yeah, sure. this is something yeah. that uh, that doesn't sound too bad. No, not at all. I think it sounds delicious. Um, well, thank you for playing along. I'm glad we didn't stump you too bad. Um, and thank lucky. you so much for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us uh, on Salt and Spine, Ulix. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. It is very much appreciated. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our Substack, which you can find at saltandspine.substack.com. For just a few dollars a month, you'll find tons of exclusive and bonus content from recipes, cookbook excerpts, essays, and more. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. We also love to see your ratings on Apple Podcasts. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our producer, Cleo Worcester, our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen is now offering both digital and in-person classes for home cooks. You can find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonimo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books, and to Monique Lamas at Hardcover Cook. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. <laughs>